yeah, let's talk and chat. Welcome, this is In the Ring Podcast. Ben Oliver, Eliza, yeah, that's the team. Time to get real, this is In the Ring. Yeah, In the Ring, baby. Yeah, welcome to another episode of In the Ring. You have the voice of your choice in the center of the ring, Oliver, here. And I am joined by a very, very special guest and a good friend of mine, Mylon. What's going on? Good to see you, Oliver. <laughs> it's, a, it's a big weekend. I feel like I feel I feel I didn't know you did podcasts for one until like just now, and uh, and yeah, it's just it just it's cool. It's great to be here, man. Thank you. Hey, man, I'm, I'm so happy you could join us. Um, I've got so much to get in the, in the conversation with you about, but uh, just to kind of level set for the for the audience out there, can you tell us a little bit about your background, what you do, kind of you know, kind of start us in the in the beginning. Yeah, so I uh, professionally work, my nine to five is working at a communication agency. I'm a video producer. Um, so I make videos for organizations who are trying to um, uh, share their story with their audiences or trying to convince the public or legislators to do something that would be favorable toward their, towards their business. Um, but I, uh, I'm, I'm a photographer at heart. Um, I've, been, I've had a still camera in my hand since I was 15, 16 in high school. Um, I recently, over the past couple of years, have been making, um, uh, have been pr- participating in a film festival called the 48-hour film competition or film project, 48-hour film project, and you have two days to write, shoot, produce, and edit a film. Uh, so I've been doing that uh, for the past few years, and, and have been working with a great team, and we've had some success there. Wow! Wow! So. Let's start. Let's let's break those off because that's that's a whole lot. <laughs> right. But I mean, on the on the photography front, how did you how did you get started? Did you just kind of like take a photo one day and just say like I really like this, or yeah. what, did someone buy you a gift? Or yeah, and that's a good question. So I in high school I was in an English class, and one of the assignments was to um, you do some book review or something like that. And I, you know, I, I I did it. I did I did my my review, and and it was a final project in the class. And um, once it was the day to for everyone to look at everyone to present, um, I presented mine. It was okay. And then I had a buddy who presented his, and he had like this whole multimedia situation going on where, you know, it was it was all high tech. In in hindsight, all he really did was throw a couple pictures together and put some music under, and I think he recorded his voice. But to me, that just blew my mind away, and wow. it was fascinating. And everybody in the classroom was captivated by the way he presented his information in this format. So I was talking to him, and I was like, "Dude, how'd you learn how to do all that?" And he was like, "Oh, I'm taking this video production class," and um, I enrolled in the video production class that next semester. Fell in love with it, and I said, "You know, um, I want to become a cinematographer." and become a cinematographer, I think I need to learn more about photography and lighting. And I did that. I had this amazing teacher, Miss Perry, at Ridgeview High School in Columbia, South Carolina. <laughs> and uh, that lady gave me uh, so much of my passion that I have now. Um, so it started there. Now, this may be the first time you guys ever hear me say this, but shout out to Columbia, South Carolina Columbia? For, for producing uh, <laughs> a lot of people. The 803. Put, put it on the map, Chris. <laughs> put it on the map, Oliver. Arm, armpit, of the, armpit of the South. Armpit of the South. <laughs> um, so that that's so that's cool. So did you pursue that in college or? So I did. I after I left after I graduated high school, I went to a high university where I pursued uh, photojournalism and French at the time. I was a double major. Uh, I didn't end up finishing the degree in French, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> 
I learned how to speak it anyway. And uh, so yeah, I pursued it, photojournalism. I interned in college at the New York Times as a photography intern. I also had the privilege of interning for the Obama administration in the White House photo office. Um, that's the office tasked with documenting, visually documenting the presidency, which was really cool. Uh, space to be in and then when I graduated college I went to work in a completely different field I worked in non for the non-for-profit field um, doing some youth development stuff uh, and freelance on the side for the times um, and end up making my way to the Boston Globe I was living in Boston at the time worked for the Globe for a while as a video producer and now I'm in DC uh, working for this communication agency Wow yeah wow so I mean that's a pretty impressive resume uh, I don't know. Well, I mean, uh, hey, I don't know. I mean, I'll, I only worked in the, the in the White House. I only worked for there for the photo office there. I was only documenting the president. Well, that's no big deal. <laughs> so, I mean, a lot of people, a lot of people see these candid photos mm. of, of the president. Mm -hmm. um, can you talk a little bit about about that? Like, what was that really like capturing the White House? Yeah, in the, inner, in the inner workings. So I, you know, I didn't the, the the internship wasn't so much a shooting internship as it was an editing internship, which is really it was really re that was really important for me to learn um, early on in my career. Uh, learning about, you know, I think I think when you first pick up a camera, you're so excited to capture something, and you're so you're so excited to, you know, capture that decisive moment. You know, like Cartier Bresson used to say is a real famous French photojournalist um, and my internship was not at all that it was doing some of the grunt work of, of, of curating the photos that were shot in the day organizing them archiving them I actually did a lot of archiving wow. and uh, I also did oddly enough in the photo department at the time uh, that department was also tasked with doing the video coverage of the president so you had the White House uh, official photographer Pete Souza at the time and then you had the White House official videographer who was a run Chothry who ended up being my boss and every day he would go and f film the president and meetings and traveling and doing all this stuff doing speeches and then he would come back dump his camera on my desk and I was in charge of all this footage that he shot for the day and I had to archive it I had to back it up I had to edit a lot of his footage based off of his uh, instructions so um, so I didn't I didn't get to photograph too much other than press conferences but I, I learned just a valuable skill set of being an editor and being uh, someone who can organize all that footage and all those photos that are taken so okay so but I mean the editing though in some ways sounds as important oh, as yeah. the capturing yeah you know and you know a lot of editors would argue more more so um, because <laughs> you know like I mean, editors are editors and shooters are so different. Um, mm -hmm. I I like to think I'm both, and you know, I think I, I'm a, I'm a hybrid of the two. But they really are two different mindsets, um, uh, and you see two different types of people be successful in those different positions. I think you know, editors are people who are a little bit more logical, rational thinkers who are good at organizing things um, and who um, are just really, really smart. Uh, mm -hmm. Photographers and videographers often are people who uh, I think have a certain instinct to for what's good. They don't always know how to put words or to it. There's not always a science behind it. But there's a you know I feel like they're more of the soul of a of an operation, and mm -hmm. the editor is more of the uh, more of the brain, 
people will shoot me for saying that. I'm sure I, I'm sure that won't be a popular statement for some, but I think it's good. I think an editor oftentimes is really thinking about, all right, how do I uh, sequence these images in a way where they tell a, a cohesive story? And the photographer, videographer is really the one who has this eye and has this instinct for, for just capturing these moments. Um, so both very important roles, obviously, but two very different skill sets. So that, that's interesting you say that, because in, in one of the, um, the kernels of wisdom in the business world mm -hmm. that you get in, in presenting things, uh, you know, in consulting and legal, all these other things that you do, you constantly are presenting information to people. Yes. And the thing that people don't necessarily account for is that in order for you to actually be able to present that information effectively, mm -hmm. you have to actually be able to tell a story. Yeah, yeah. And so that important. the story, in some ways, is more important than the content itself. Yeah. Because yeah. you can have the most brilliant thing that says, uh, I'm going to make you a million bucks. Yeah. But if it doesn't tell a cohesive story, yep. it gets lost. Yeah, 100%. So I, I guess... When you say that you're editing, obviously you're not editing things. You know, you're editing you know, the president picking his nose or right. anything like that. Yeah, no, correct. But you're yeah. you're you're taking the sequence of events and things yeah. that they've done to tell that story. Yeah, yeah. I should clarify. Thank you. Um, editing in photo editing and video editing is all about sequencing images in a way that tell a story. Um, mm -hmm. And, and the, White, the White House Photo Office has very strict ethical guidelines, so, so, so yeah, I should lay that out there. We're not, we're not manipulating anything. We're not, mm -hmm. we're not telling anything that's not true. Um, but sometimes you might have a sequence of images. You might have 12 sequences of images that are telling a story about a certain policy that the, that the president and administration is advocating for. Mm -hmm. And um, the Photo Office will sequence those images in a way that tell, uh, to, to tell a story that gives viewers a good understanding of why that policy or initiative is so important or how that got developed and those images may not always be in chronological order right, right? so so you're making certain choices like that um, and you're doing the same thing in video so that's a really that's a really excellent point yeah so so kind of tied to that is the notion that it's in some ways it's an art mm -hmm. it's, it's I mean it is it's abs it's all an art yeah but there is a meaning to the way that you do things. Yeah. So, like, when, for example, I imagine if someone was taking a photo of the president meeting with a foreign leader, mm -hmm. and they catch, capture several different photos mm -hmm. for it. In some photos, the president looks strong right. compared to the right. other right. person. Right. And in some times, the president looks weak right. compared yeah. to the other person. Yeah. And so the same photo from the same event, the yeah. same result, yep. You use that; it tells a slightly different story Correct. where it looks like this person's retreating, yeah. as opposed to you're actually, you know, a more dominant player. Yeah, yeah. It, do you guys do you ever get that type of political charge to say you need to make the president look right. strong? Right, right. Well, you know, I was there for three months, so mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I was an intern, <laughs> right? I'm, I wasn't running anything, but um, I do know that the. You know the office is still, um, you know, it's it's a political office, right? It, mm -hmm. It's there to, it has two, it has two directives, you know, or th there are at least two directives, and, and one of of course is to capture the visual history of the president of the United States, Barack Obama, at the time, and the second is um, it's 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 an arm of the press office, right? So mm -hmm. it, they do want to, they always want to show the administration in a favorable light, right? Mm -hmm. So um, so so we're going to so the office would always get requests of. Yeah, like show us that that image of the president at that 
foreign state dinner looking like very, you know, looking really good. You know, they're not mm -hmm. gonna they're not gonna publish an image on the White House Flickr page of the president looking uh, not, you know, statesmanlike or not uh, confident or not charismatic like we all know that he is. Um, so that's an important distinction. It was, and for historians and documentarians, um, they they are all going to be able to go back. They all they are they're available now. They can go back into that visual archive and they can pull out some of the images that aren't so flattering. Some mm -hmm. of the images where the president was fatigued because he was fighting for health care reform, or or I, I don't know if that picture exists. So I'm just using that as an example. Mm -hmm. They can go back and do that. But yes, for the sake of the the and that's when that editing that we talked about comes into play, where we might have those two photos, like you said, one where the president mm -hmm. doesn't look too confident and one where he does, and, and uh, you know, the, the photo office will publish the, the better one, of mm -hmm. course, because it, it's part of the messaging, right? The photo office is used to help um, promote the message of the administration. Uh, but, you know, as history goes on and, and we dive more into that event, then people can pull other photos and use that for whatever means or whatever message they want to convey. Um, and so that was, so for, for Pete Souza and uh, all the other photographers uh, who worked for that administration during that time, um, they were always, um, they were there to document history, but the way their photos were used were for political ends oftentimes. Right. Yeah. So when we see, like if, for the current president, if we see a photo of him looking stupid, yes. that's out there. That's not, that's like either <laughs> someone is at the press office is asleep at the wheel, right? Or that's a less flattering photo right. that's been taken to be used for a political purpose. It's, it's unlikely that right. an official photo of him is being put on the Flickr page yeah. of him looking dumb. Yeah, that would be unlikely in my mind, but right. I can't speak to anything of that administration. Exactly. I have no, <laughs> you have I'm, no affiliation. I have zero affiliation <laughs> with the Trump administration, to be clear. Um, so I can't, I can't speak too much to to how they do things. <laughs> that's good. That's good, though. Uh, I mean, I think that's very informative, though, because I, for for so many times, I, I didn't know that. Like, yeah. I just assumed. You know, if you catch you catch these photos, obviously you assume you know people want someone to look the best, right? But you see these official photos yeah. on like NBC News or yeah. ABC or Fox News right. of someone, right. and it's to your point, you catch that on Fox News, you might see if this was President Obama, you might catch him looking different, yeah, at the same event, yeah, than if you were watching ABC News, right? Yeah, absolutely, or CNN, yeah, and that's it, like that's the political yeah. nature of it. It's the same person captured all of it yeah. because they they're just taking photos. Yeah. But how they're used is most of the story. Yeah, it's true, and it's and it's funny too to look at the front page. You know, in D.C. we have the museum, and you can the museum is a museum about the history of news and journalism in this country. And you can uh, in the morning you can walk past the museum, and they have all these front page covers mm -hmm. uh, on outside displayed from all around the world, all the major newspapers, and it's so interesting to see how different news outlets will use same story, different image that conveys, conveys a very different idea or very different feeling. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, a photo, you know, and that's why photo editing is so important because you want to, there's always a perspective that you're telling. I mean, photography in and of itself assumes that you have to take a perspective on something, right? Like mm -hmm. the lens you use, the way you crouch down, whatever, right? Um, and so editing is so important because editing also promotes a certain perspective mm -hmm. um, and, and the best photo editors and, and best journalists choose the photos that um, 
are tell tell an accurate perspective, you know. Um, but that can that can be very difficult, you know. And, and it's uh, there's a lot of subjectivity to that. And a photo tells. We always say a photo, uh, um, you yeah, know, says a thousand words. words. Mm -hmm. A photo tells a thousand lies, right? I mean. It is, it is such a, it condenses reality down to a single frame uh, that can reveal, a, shed a lot of light on something, but if we're not careful, it, it can, it can by uh, um, cutting certain things out of the frame, we can also tell some lies. So, mm -hmm. so it, every, so photos, photography is always important. You have to put it in context. You have to put it in context of words. You have to put it in context of other images to really get the big picture. And so there's a lot of, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a tricky business when you, when you really think about it, when you think about the presentation of images. Right. That's very, that's very interesting. I, I, again, I don't think that people really get that enough that so much of what you see, so much of the video, the, the, of the, the photography that you see, again, no one's blaming the, the, the photography, the videographer. I mean, yeah. obviously, there you know there are people who are yeah. uh, who are hunting for for shots of uh, what do you yeah. paparazzi? Oh, but no. but, I, but that's, that's not a, that's, that's not a different. That's breed. very different. That's a different <laughs> right. breed. But I don't think that people really understand that so much of your opinion of something is yeah. shaped yeah. by the way that someone construes the yeah. exact same thing yeah. and so yeah. you almost have to look at things as saying what is actually you almost have to take the story out yeah in mm -hmm. order for you to be able to really get at the heart of it yeah so when you capture anything whether it's two people holding hands mm -hmm. um or like someone holding somebody else somebody could take a photo of two people together and it looks like that they're a happy couple. Yeah. And then the same person could take the exact same photo at mm -hmm. a different time and yep. it looks like they're fighting each other. That's right. Yeah. And yep. how you tell that in each of those situations, you look at it and you say, wow, one person you think, wow, they're what a happy couple. And the yep. other one you say, they're fighting. Yeah. Yeah. Same, same time, same moment, but you get completely different reactions yep. and you get completely different understandings. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I guess as a question, as a follow-up, you may you may or may not have a, an opinion on this, but mm -hmm. I'm just curious. You know, when you hear about the divisiveness in the country, right? Mm -hmm. The rhetoric where you have, you know, quote unquote, Trump America on this side and you know, liberals on this side, and I don't watch, you know, I don't watch Fox News yeah. or I don't watch CNN. Right? Do you think that that divide is in is due to at least in part the presentation of those images, the presentation of the video, the presentation of it to fill a specific narrative? And if so, hmm. what, how much do you think that's to actually to blame? So, so say that one more time. So with all these different perspectives, all these different ideas, do I think, say that one more time? Do you think that that type of narrative use where you're taking the same event mm -hmm. But construct, but making sure to look for yeah. this type of footage yeah, yeah. of the same event, so that way you create an alternative fact. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, well, I mean, that is a great example of unethical reporting and uneth being an unethical witness to something, right? Because you have a because you even even in the work I do now, right? For uh, you know, I work for all sorts of clients, you know, mm -hmm. corporations, non for profits. Um, all sorts of people who have a perspective they want to they want to get out there because they want to influence somebody to think a certain way and they come to us and um, you know one of the things that is so important is even when someone hires you to 
to tell a story, you always have to tell a story in an ethical way, right? You always have to tell a story that is true, right? ultimately. That exactly. I mean, if you're lying or or you're you're um, avoiding a you're avoiding facts in a way that's so blatant that you you know you're just not telling the truth. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's unethical. Whether or not someone's paying you or not, and I have to you know I've had a few times where I've had to explain that to clients, like, no, actually we can't you know, uh, splice together this person's interview in this way because they didn't actually say that, you know? Right. If we want them to say that, we need to go back and film them and, and ask them if they want to say that. But um, but to your point, I think, I think what you're saying is, you know, how do I feel about people using images in a way where they know it's going to incite, it's going to, you know, make people think a certain way about an event that's going to be favorable to whatever their political opinion mm-hmm. is or whatever their position is. And I just, I think it's wrong, you know what I mean? I think it's wrong. I think. Um, uh, I think it's wrong, but I also, you know, realize that, you know, I've worked for, you know, I've worked for two uh, major media outlets in this country, the New York Times and the Boston Globe, and they're excellent institutions of journalism. Um, but there's, there's always a bias. There's always a perspective, um, even as journalists. And, mm-hmm. and I think you're looking for, you're looking for fairness, right? Like, and not even so much always balance. Like, it's not even always the most ethical thing to give two opposing voices uh, equal equal airtime or equal space on a page mm-hmm. because you know one of those voices may be factually incorrect right so you have to you're looking for ways to balance but in the news industry you're always going to have some level of bias and the, and it's incumbent on the readers to watch Fox News MSNBC read the New York Times read the the Washington um, read the uh, Wall Street Journal read these different publications that all inherently have a bias to them because that's the only way that you have a full, well-rounded perspective of the world around you. Even then, still, it's not complete because, you know, I mean, whatever the bias is, because they, you know, you have reporters who are educated at certain types of institutions that mm-hmm. grew up in certain um, economic communities where newsrooms are, um, you know, uh, more one color than the other. I mean, when I was at the Boston Globe and. Uh, 2000, 2014, 2015. You know, Boston's Boston's a, a diverse city. Um, a lot, it gets a lot of flack from people of color because people say we're all the we're all the people of color. And there's plenty of people of color in the city. Just oftentimes, um, you might go downtown and you don't see those because those communities might be in exactly. Dorchester or Roxbury. I mean, you know, you um, you spend time in Boston. But the newsroom was not was not at the time was not reflective of the community that it served. And and it, it, it knew that, and it began to take you know small steps to trying to figure that out, figure out how to fix that. Right. But it was not. It was a newsroom that was uh, predominantly white, and um, you know that that affects what stories we tell, and that affects uh, the approach that we, we take on stories. So I think your I, I think your question's good. I think it's we just have to be smart about being fair in our reporting. It's a very interesting take on on journalism, though. It, uh, I mean, it because what you're what you're raising is couple issues one that there's an ethical component to it mm-hmm. that you have to you can't just misconstrue things to create a, a, a story yeah which I think happens I mean it is fake news mm-hmm. but then you also have this gray area where you have people who are biased mm-hmm. um, and everyone has biases but you have kind of this gray area where I think the best journalists, the best reporters, the best photographers and, and people editing and that sort of thing will say 
I recognize I have my bias, but I'm going to try to make sure that right. it's at least it's telling as much as I can yeah. a factual story. Yeah, yeah. But then you have others who say, I can tell a factual story, but I can twist it a little bit yeah. without actually changing it yeah. to shift the narrative or to shift the perspective yeah. to fit my bias. Yes, yeah. So yeah. in order for us to really counteract that as people, we actually have to... <laughs> Go to the other side right. and be willing to get a different perspective. Yeah, t- that to get the full story. Yeah, a hundred percent. I think that's so true. You know, I uh, I'm doing some work for a client right now, and um, um, it it, in- it involves the issues of of gun ownership in this mm-hmm. country. The at the the client is uh, is an advocate for um, gun rights and and wants to ensure. Um, um, people are safe with that, and and part of the work, you know, I've had interactions with with gun store owners, and you know, I'm not, you know, I I'm not a huge fan of the idea that you know we all need to arm ourselves for the sake of protection. Um, I, I get the understanding, I get the, I get why people are passionate about it, and why people want to have that right, but um, it's so so I'm a little, I'm I'm more left on the issue. But in, in my interactions with on this account, uh, I had the opportunity to talk to gun store owners mm-hmm. um, and um, gun owners. And it's, it's, it's actually, you hear a common theme when you talk to them, which is they, they do feel like the news media oftentimes uh, looks at any incident that happens in the in the the gun ownership realm and uses it to basically promote a certain idea that guns are bad and people shouldn't have them and there's a lot of frustration there and i think you know i think there's there's some truth to the way news media does cover that in a way that make villainizes people and make people look a certain way because you know um the news media is a is is you know a left-leaning uh place and Mm -hmm. and i think of about a lot of the settings that I've been in, and the the all the sentiments of reporters and photographers I have worked with, who who when they think about guns, and they're like, ah, like I don't know why we're so crazy in this country about guns, and I I feel that way. I think it is an issue, but I don't think you you don't always see an, enough representation of people who are like, yeah, like actually I think at least in the spaces that I in my mm-hmm. limited spaces that I've been a part of in the, in the news media, I don't think there was always enough people who were like actually yeah like I grew up hunting, I grew up. Um, with a firearm, I use it to protect my family or whatever, whatever. Um, you, there's, there's not always enough of those voices to balance things out. And so I think you're right. It's incumbent on us to make sure we're having conversations with other people who have different opinions than us um, to look, to seek out the other perspective um, and to have that conversation because you might learn something that you didn't know you, you knew, right? So we shouldn't have the arrogance to think we really know the issue without talking to people who um, we may be opponents with you know i'm very surprised by this uh by this attitude of yours because i seem to recall someone on the battlefields of a, of a paintball field <laughs> holding toting guns and uh oh, man. Shooting, shooting folks out there oh man i uh <laughs> i'm all you know see yeah i worked at a paintball field as you know for four years throughout <laughs> high school every saturday morning and um <laughs> I also learned how to shoot a shotgun at 12 years old in South Carolina at a summer camp, which is a thing in the South. Um, Welcome to South Carolina. <laughs> but uh, but but yeah, I uh, yeah, but that was not that was not fi- that was not like 
nine millimeters. That was those were paintball markers. Hey, look, different, you know what I mean? People look, aren't dying at the end of the day. I, I don't know, man. <laughs> I, I saw a dude collapse. They had they had a guy. All right, so like, there's, there's a story about this. So they had a guy. Uh, I, I had a paintball team when I was in in high school, mm-hmm. and uh, it was for the Gettysburg scenario. Mm-hmm. And you know when they stacked it like two hundred guys on the Confederate side and fifty of us on the Union side and said, "Oh yeah, that's a fair representation mm-hmm. of the yeah. Confederates, yeah. Confederate War, the ba- of Battle of Gettysburg." I'm like, "Are you kidding me? How is this fair?" They had guys getting shot, guys were just wiping, kept shooting. Oh, they had guys with automatics. So there was a situation where four of us are out there, and I wrote my, uh, I wrote an essay about this as a, for college admission uh-huh. to, uh, to Georgetown. Uh-huh. Uh Yeah, they liked it. Got in, but uh, I wrote it. I wrote a story about this. There were four of us. A small kid, probably about six or seven years old. Yeah. A friend of mine on my team, me, and some other guy. Uh-huh. Um, so, other guy, we we walk into an ambush. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Probably about this was at Gettysburg. But we're probably about thirty guys, just there, and one guy gets shot the the guy that we don't know gets shot so little kids yelling retreat retreat and so he just starts like like he just t- turns his back around and like starts walking and so my friend's like seeing this kid about to get lit so he tries to go over there before he can do anything he gets hit so hard with so many paintballs he actually collapses <laughs> he collapses i have to like firearm carry this man i like basically put him on my shoulder and like run and of somehow, I don't know if he was just absorbing the bullets for me. <laughs> That's exactly but he's but, but I, I tend to believe I try to believe that I just was avoiding everything. I wasn't getting shot at all. You were moving so fast. I was moving so fast. Just just avoiding everything. I yeah no those guys. I don't know, but somehow we managed to in, win that though. Uh-huh. But uh, but no those guys like probably because you left the game and now your teammates could actually do some real damage. <laughs> hey man, look, I look, I was knocking people out like it, it was. It was getting pretty brutal out there, but but no, I, but funny stories aside, though, I think that's a, I think it's an excellent point. You you really do have to engage. I, I know that I know we're running on time, so I want to make sure I get to the um, the film the film aspect of yeah, the stuff that you talked about. Yeah. So tell me a little bit more about the film competitions that you've had, the success mm-hmm. you've had. So I mean, a lot of these a lot of people out there who are listening, they may not know about it, but I mean, you know, it's kind of a big deal in the film. Uh, you know, it's it's. <laughs> I, so I've I've had the opportunity to participate for the last three years in, like I said, a, a competition called the Forty Eight Hour Film Project. Okay. Um, the competition gives you two days to write, shoot, produce, edit, and film a uh, and submit a full film about well a short film, six minutes, seven minutes, mm-hmm. and um, they give you a random line of dialogue at the beginning, a genre, and a prop. Okay. And you have to incorporate all these elements into your film. And, you know, I've done it uh, for the past three years with a group of colleagues uh, in the creative department, uh, the communication agency I work in. And it's, it's a lot of fun. You don't sleep during the weekend, but uh, it's a lot of fun. So, so the, the first year I did it with them, uh, we didn't win anything. Uh, last year, we won Best Film in Washington, D.C. And uh, that then took us to Paris to participate on a national level and our film competed with uh, all the city winners from around the world. This is an international mm-hmm. competition so it happens and you know it happens all over the world. And then this past year we just uh, the competition just finished and we won uh, quite a few awards. We didn't place this year unfortunately but we won quite a few awards. We won um, best drama, best editing, 
best original music composition. Wow. And uh, I'm honored enough to have won an honorable mention for cinematography. Wow. Yeah. Wow, man. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank hey, you. hey. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds great, man. <laughs> Thank I, I mean, you. How did you? How did you even hear about that? So I actually participated. I did it once in in college, okay. and then I so I did it my freshman year in college with a bunch of guys, mostly guys. There were some uh, women on our team, um, but very like a lot of a lot of testosterone on that team. I recall, and <laughs> um, uh, and it was it was cool. It was a lot of fun. Um, I had a pretty minor role. Um, I think at the time, actually, I think I was like one of two cinematographers on the team. And then I guess the director liked the other cinematographer more, and I, my role just became like obsolete. So, um, you know, I guess I was, I wasn't, my skills weren't as good back then for me to be picked. Uh, then uh, a couple years later in college, junior year, I worked on a story about the 48 hour film festival, okay. uh, film competition. I followed the team around and did a whole like behind the scenes thing. So, I, so, so whenever it came to do this with my friends and colleagues, uh, I was like, yeah, like I've done it before. I'll, I'll do it. Um, I always do it like a little hesitantly though, because I'm like, I don't know if I want to give up a weekend. And then I do it and I love it. And we win awards and like, you know, that's I, great. I can, you know, um, be proud about it. But yeah. Do you, I mean, do you think do you uh, do you look and think that you have um, a future in in the film industry? You know, I you know I would love to be. I love to produce. A feature-length documentary one day. I mean, that's the world I want to be in, in, in the documentary production space. Yeah. Um. So, so yeah, that you know, we'll see. I, will I ever be Hollywood? Probably not. Yeah, well, you know um, what they say. You never know. There's no business like show business. You know. <laughs> you never know. You know? <laughs> I didn't. I didn't know that. I, yeah. There's um. Uh, remind me when we're done. There's two people that you should meet. Uh huh. Um. That that are friends of mine. Okay. Um, one of them, actually, three. Um. But one of them is in Spain. So, uh-huh. but two of them uh, are actually working on. Uh, one of them is actually produced. Uh, what is it? Uh, Mountaintop, mm-hmm. uh, which was on Broadway, I think, um, with Samuel L. Jackson. In. Mm-hmm. Um, she meet her, and then there's another one that's in L.A. and she's actually working on a pilot for a show. Like you, you got yeah. Nice. I'll, I'll, I'll connect. Yeah, connect. I'll connect. I'll connect. So uh, no, that that's great. That's great. I mean, do you do you envision doing other projects uh, in the meantime, other than yeah. the forty eight hour? Uh, so now I think we're are the team that I've been working with. I think we're done with the forty eight. I think we think that like we're like too hot stuff now, and we're gonna <laughs> do bigger and better things. Uh, no, um, forty eight is awesome, and there's um, really a lot of talented filmmakers in that. But but no, in all seriousness, we I think we're we're ready to sort of try some different things, do mm-hmm. some in, some independent projects that are divorced from any particular festival, mm-hmm. and then just submit our work, um, you know, to different festivals. So so yeah, well I'll be I'll be doing some more you know stuff uh, over the next year. I'm sure I'll be doing another in a couple independent projects uh, with this team, and then like I said, documentary is is sort of my. Um, the thing that I'm 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 really uh, passionate about, so um, so always looking for opportunities to do short documentary work or long term stuff. So we'll see. I'll keep you posted. Excellent, and yeah, we'll we'll definitely keep the uh, the followers posted as well. Yeah, I mean, uh, actually, we can get some if we if you have any like a trailer or anything like that. We I can do. Post it. I do. Yeah, I'll, I'll send you my. I'm at mylancannon.com, and then I'll send you some 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 of my work that you can post with this this episode. Excellent. Excellent. Well, Mylon, thanks so much for joining. Um, you know, we really appreciate having you on and, and, and being able to talk so candidly about stuff. We'll definitely have to have you on again. 
Sure. Um, so that way we can we can engage you. There are other people I'm, I would love to see you paired with the you guys. Talk. Yeah, but uh, but as always uh, to our listeners out there, we appreciate you. Thanks so much for uh, for listening in. Tell a friend to tell a friend. Uh, you can hear us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, and uh, Stitcher podcast. Um, and you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as well. Um, we always look forward to hearing from you guys, and I hope that you guys are doing well. Take care. Thank you for coming and holding it down. I love a Ben and Eliza, they're keeping it live. Make sure you come back, yeah, one more time, because we're bringing the vibe. Hurry and subscribe to In the Ring.